0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, all of the chapter. You guys recognize any of these uh, sentences? Fasten your seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy ride. It's a line from a movie. Um, Let's see, play play it Sam, play as time goes by. You guys know what that's from? Casablanca, Casablanca. all right. Um, After all, tomorrow is another day. What's that from? Gone with the wind. Um, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. (laughs) Godfather. In this list, this is from the uh, AFI list of 100 top lines from uh, the 100 years of movies that they did a couple years ago. In this list, there's a line. This is number 90. It says, a martini, shaken, not stirred. What's that from? James James Bond. Goldfinger, 1964. That, that word was spoken as the 90th most uh, popular or, or most memorable, maybe, line. Now, I don't really know what that means. But it sounds cool, doesn't it? James Bond says that anything sounds cool. He says, a martini shaken, not stirred. Well, how, how many pe- people were here last week? Raise your hand if you were here last week. Okay, so there's a few of you. There's some who were here last week who aren't here this week. I and mean, I don't know if maybe this has anything to do with it. Do you guys remember, last week I showed some pictures of some... Radical Muslim protesters in England. I do need to say radical. I'm not sure if I said that enough um, because I think I may have been mistaken a little bit in, in my intention. I showed some pictures of these radical Muslim protesters that were, uh, they had signs that suggested the beheading of the enemies of Islam, uh, glorifying the terrorist acts, in, uh, and saying, Europe, your 9 11 is coming. Why did I do that? Some of you guys are like, because you're crazy. <laughs> and was that a good choice? Well, I'm not sure. Maybe the, the jury still might be out on that one. I am learning that, that pictures are powerful. They're much more powerful than maybe even I know. Because, um, by the way, this is a, on, on Tuesday. If you, if you want to get the dirt on the church, right? Come Tuesday morning, guys. Because that's where we we had this discussion. It was good. It was a really good discussion about hey, did I go too far with showing these pictures? Um, I'm learning that pictures are powerful, perhaps more powerful than intended. But here's the question why did I do it? Did I do it to shake you up? Did I do it to incite a riot? No, hopefully not. I know you guys better than that. But did I do it to shake things up? Did you leave? Let me ask you this question. Did you leave shaken? Or stirred. I hope that you didn't leave shaken. That was not my intention. My intention was not to leave you shaken, but to leave you stirred. If you remember, my point was that it is possible that we could see persecution in our lifetime, in our country. Now, as to whether that where that comes from, we don't know. But it is possible, it's entirely possible that we could see persecution in our lifetime. Now if persecution were to come to the United States, if you were staring down the wrong end of a rifle, would you denounce Christ? Or would your name be added to the list of martyrs that have gone before you through the ages? Now you're like, wait a minute, you're doing it again. You're shaking us up. That's not to scare you. That's not to incite you to violence. I don't want you to leave here today shaken, but stirred. If you remember, last week I actually gave you the answer to that question. What would you do if if something terrible like that happened and you were called upon to either renounce or profess Christ? What would you do? The answer is actually already decided for you. If you live for Jesus in the present, you don't have to worry about if you'll die for Jesus in the future. If you, we we talked about it last week, if you take in the word, the word is going to live itself out in you. My hope was to stir you up for the need for a closer walk with Jesus. See, if the time comes, and I don't know if it's coming soon, if the time comes, I want to be brave. I want to be brave. I want to be like Paul. I want to be like the Thessalonians. The title of today's message is, if you had not figured it out, Stirred, Not Shaken. Persecutions, trials, afflictions, sickness, setbacks, storms, all of those things can have one of two effects. They can shake you to your core. They can move you from your foundation. Or they can stir up in you courage, a determination, a deeper love and a deeper walk with Jesus. So today we're going to look at first Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to see that Paul was stirred. And we're going to see that the Thessalonians were not shaken, which is a really good thing. I kind of divided up uh, today into uh, four different uh, subcategories, I guess, if you will. The first one we're going to talk about is Paul's agitation. Then we're going to talk about Timothy's assignment. Then we're going to talk about Timothy's assessment of the situation in Thessalon- Thessalonica. And finally, we're going to talk about Paul's rejoicing. Wait, that's not an A. Oh, go figure. Maybe it's a pirate's thing. R. Anyway, Paul's agitation. Let's look at First Thessalonians chapter 3. Actually, you know what? Let's back up. Because we saw last time at the end of chapter 2, we started seeing Paul's love for this church in Thessalonica. Look at chapter 2, verse 17. He's been separated from this church. He, he, he's planted this church for, for three weeks, and then he was pulled away by this persecution. Chapter 2, verse 17, Paul speaking to these Thessalonians. He says, But we, brethren, have been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. And there's no chapter break in the original letter. So let's look at verse 1 now. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. Paul says we can no longer endure it. Look down at verse 5. Verse 5 he says, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. So twice, Paul says, look, I couldn't stand it. I could no longer endure it. The word endure there is stego, S-T-E-G-O. Interesting, it means to thatch, to cover, to put a lid on it, uh, to protect something by way of covering it. Covering something which threatens Uh, Off something which threatens to bear up against, to hold out against. See, Paul tried to keep a lid on his feelings for this church in Thessalonica. He tried to keep out the worries that he had for this group of young believers. But he said, I find that I couldn't take it anymore. Verse 5, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. See, like a leaky roof, the thought kept coming to Paul. Those saints in Thessalonica... I know, I know they're enduring a lot of persecution. I wonder, how, how are they holding up? He says, I know the enemy is using this to tempt them to renounce their faith. I hope they're not shaken. I hope they're not shaken from the foundation that I laid. Like a leaky roof, no matter how much he tried to put a lid on it, he could stand it no more. So he made a decision. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. Now this gives you an idea of Exactly how much this meant to Paul, because it wasn't good to be left in Athens alone. If you read the book of Acts with us over the, the last year, you remember that Athens was not a good place to be left alone. There were more idols, more pagan gods in Athens than one, one commentator back then said it'd be easier to find a god than to find a person in Athens. You couldn't spit without hitting someone's god. In Athens. Athens was a city of incredible beauty and intellect and athletics. You guys know all that stuff. But you know what the name Athens means? Uncertainty. Uncertainty. So Paul says, after having all these worries on my head, I decided, I made the decision, it's better for me to be left alone in the town of uncertainty than for me to be uncertain about you guys. For me to to not know what was going on In your hearts under persecution. Paul said, I could endure it no longer. I'd rather me be alone for a while in this land of uncertainty than me be uncertain about how you're doing. Verse two, we're going to see now what Paul gave up. Look what Paul gives up for this young church. And I sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. See, to Paul, Timothy was not just an assistant. He was not just an apprentice. He was a friend. He says, a brother, a fellow servant, a co-laborer. If you guys know anything about Timothy, this was Paul's right-hand guy. This was his go-to guy. This is another good reminder to young people. I used to be able to say that and include myself. I can't do that anymore. What a bummer. Timothy was a teenager. Timothy was a teenager, and this is another reminder that God can use you Wants to use you right now. Second Timothy two, fifteen says, Study to show yourself approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul said that to Timothy. He said, Study, be ready. Matter of fact, Second Timothy chapter four, he says in verse two, be ready in season and out of season. And Timothy was. So Timothy is sent on this think about it, he sent alone teenager. Paul sends a teenager alone on this task to stabilize a brand new church. It's a pretty big job. But Timothy was up for it because he was studying. he was showing himself to prove he was ready. Now, Paul was willing to let go of an assistant, a friend, a brother, a fellow servant, just like that. Why? Because of his compassion for this young church in Thessalonica. He was willing to be left alone in Athens... In this city of confusion, I kind of liken it to being left alone in Las Vegas maybe, right? Um, That's not a good thing in in a situation unless you're really rooted and grounded, those kind of things. So, we see Paul's sacrificial attitude, his agitation. Next we're going to see now Timothy's assignment. Paul gives Timothy this assignment. He was to inquire how their faith was holding up. You saw that in verse 5. Check up on these guys. Make sure they're doing well under persecution. But also he was assigned now to establish and to encourage them. Look at verse 2. He says, I sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow, fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. The word encourage there is parakaleo. Sound familiar? It's the word we have that uh, Jesus used for the Holy Spirit. One who comes alongside. One who comes to help. Paul said, I'm sending him, one, to encourage you, to come alongside you, but he says also to establish you. That word is sterizo. It means to make stable, to place firmly, to set fast, to affix. You hear that? Paul wanted Timothy to go and help stabilize this church, to set it fast, make sure that it's stuck. Verse 3, he says that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. Shaken. In the old King James, the word is moved. It means to shake, to cause to tremble, to be thrown into a tremor, to quake for fear. I get the picture of an earthquake shaking a house so much that you think it's going to go off the foundation. Paul says, I sent Timothy to come and to encourage you, to stabilize you in the midst of this quaking persecution. Now, if anybody would know about persecution, it would be Paul, right? He's like, I have survived through many times, many earthquakes of persecution. And Paul says, look, guys, you can survive. You don't have to be moved off your foundation. Let me speak to you. Maybe today or maybe recently. Your world has been shaken. Been shaken to your core. Maybe you feel like you're the house at the top of the cliff during an earthquake, in a windstorm, right? Just right there. Paul says, I've been there. You can stand fast. You don't have to let yourself be moved off your foundation. How do you do it? Look at verse 3. But no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are pointed to this. Paul says to them and to us, hey guys, guess what? We're appointed to trouble. Christian, you have an appointment with trouble. Aren't you glad you came? Don't you feel better now? Somewhere in, okay, I'm speaking metaphorically here, somewhere in God's daytimer, He has a day timer for you, right? Maybe this week, maybe next year, we don't know when it is, Maybe it says April 12, 2007, 7:23 a.m, you get the phone call about cancer, or June 2nd, 4:40 p.m.. you get the pink slip. Or July 7, the marital problems start to surface. We have appointments with trouble. Again, you're thinking, great, Doug, that really helps. Thanks a lot. Well, actually, it should help. Especially if you're going through it right now, it should help to know that it doesn't surprise God. Right? He's not up in heaven, biting his fingernails, saying, oh man, what are we going to do now? I I haven't thought about that. I can't believe that. He's not surprised. It's actually been in his daytimer since before you were born. He knew that you'd be going through this. He's ready, the Bible says, to help you in times of trouble. Aren't you glad that you have someone who already knew it was coming? Like a father who, who sees his kid uh, making a dumb mistake, but he, he lets him go through with it, but he's there ready to pick up the pieces when, when this mistake is made. Bible says that God knows what you can handle and that he never allows one more ounce of trouble than what you can handle. Never, ever. And he never allows one more ounce of trouble than what is good for you. I know we never think that it's good for us when it's happening. But he is working all things together for your good, the Bible says. Look at now verse 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tri- tribulation. Just as it happened. And you know. Paul says, as a matter of fact, you guys remember when we walked into Thessalonica with the stripes on our back? Got those from Philippi, the last city. You remember when we we told you, said, look, these guys that that just beat us in Philippi, they don't like us much. Everywhere we go, people don't like us much. Chances are, you Thessalonians, you're going to get beat. If you hang around us for any length of time, you're going to get a whooping. And Paul was a prophet, right? What happened? Acts chapter 17. These guys come. They they stir up the crowd. The crowd goes crazy. And Jason, a brand new baby Christian, is in... He's uh, thrown in jail because Paul... They're they're trying to get to Paul. And so these brand new Christians are now suffering persecution. Paul was made a prophet just by saying, Hey, trouble's coming. Um, Some of the guys... we, We saw a movie on Friday called Glory Road. It was pretty cool. Uh, about basketball, and um, <clears throat> in it, there was uh, the, Kentucky, the Kentucky team was playing the Texas Western team, I think it is. Adolph Rupp was the uh, coach. The, I think the last line that he says, he's wanting to win this game, and he says, "You guys are going to go out there and win." Now, make me a prophet. They didn't. They lost. But I can, I can make a prophecy for you right now. And by the way, the Bible says if I make a prophecy and it goes it doesn't come to pass that you can stone me, okay? But I can make a prophecy right now that unless Jesus comes back very soon, this prophecy will stand. You will suffer tribulation. You will suffer tribulation. Okay, I stole that though. I stole it from Jesus. Because <laughs> Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three, in this world you will have tribulation. He says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. See, the persecution, the tribulation was a given for Paul. Paul's like, look, everywhere I go, this persecution thing happens. This tribulation happens. But the thing that was really important to Paul was, I know they're they're suffering persecution. Paul's question is, how are they holding up? How are they doing? Are they being moved off their foundation? Look at verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. Paul says to Timothy before he sends him, he's like, I just got to know how they're doing. I I got to know. He says, I know how the tempter works, Paul says. Jesus had said that sometimes, he says that the word of God is like a seed. And it finds good soil, and then it starts to grow. He says, "But sometimes the enemy comes and he plucks it up like a bird, taking the seed off of the off of a road. He plucks it up and takes it away, and it doesn't have a chance to, to root. Paul's like, "Look, I was only with these guys for three weeks i know I know that the word was starting to take hold because I started to see it but The enemy, I know how he works, he's going to use this persecution. He's going to try to tempt these guys to take them off their foundation. He's going to try to take the seed up, and it will all be for vain. Paul has to know if the enemy has stolen the good seed. Now, I want to take a little side trip, something that that I noticed that I think is good for us to to realize. You guys notice that there is this relationship between trials and temptation? Now, there's there's a whole study that we could do on this. ...that we won't do today. Um, I can give you briefly... ...one idea is this... ...that God allows trials, right? But the enemy wants to use them... ...as temptations. Right? The The same thing that to me might look like... ...a trial, or to God would look like a trial... ...to the enemy, he uses it, the underside of it... ...as a temptation. In both cases, it's a test. God wants you to pass... The enemy wants you to fail every time. There's this relationship between trial and temptation. Well, there's a relationship between just experiencing trials and being tempted. For instance, moms, when you've had a rough day with the kids, when the kids are a terror, isn't it then that you want the pint of of ice cream? Right? Trial leads to temptation. Guys, it's when you're under pressure at work, that you want to blow up at somebody. Right? Or we even say, Man, well, we don't. Hopefully, I don't, anyway. <laughs> but but you, you finish your, your day by saying, Man, what a day I need a drink. Remember? You guys remember Peter at the at Jesus' trial? He was moving toward betraying Jesus. He's had a really rough day. I mean, he's cut the ear off the, the the uh governor's Servant, right? He's had a rough day already. He's already uh, let down Jesus by, by sleeping on the job. But what's, what does he do? We find him warring, warming himself at the fire of the enemy. Right? Jesus is, is standing up to the tribulation. And Peter, on the other hand, is warming his, himself at the fire of the enemy. Listen, the enemy has a lot of warm fires. When you've been under persecution or under trial or tribulation, there's a lot of warm fires. Drugs. Alcohol. Ways to escape. Maybe it's something as simple as a trashy romance novel. A pint of ice cream. A chat room. An internet site. The enemy has warm fires. And when you're under the hand of that cold hand of tribulation... Sometimes that fire can be real inviting. But Proverbs six twenty seven says, Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? See the, the fire that looks so inviting is all part of the enemy's trick, right? It's like a one two punch. Okay, all right, we'll use this, we'll get him really worn down, and then then we'll offer this over here as an enticement. The fire that looks warm is going to actually burn you. See, the enemy wants to do the whole one-two punch thing. He hopes that you won't fall for it. I mean, he hopes that you will fall for it. He wants you to, for instance, get up, get beat up at work and then get burned at home. Get burned by the fire that he set, um, hoping that you'd come to it after you got beat up at work. See, if you know, know his tricks, you're going to be better prepared. That's just that little side note that we notice here, that temptation and trial work together. Now, we've seen Paul's agitation. Paul's thinking, please. Please let these guys be stirred, but not shaken. Now, we've seen Timothy's assignment. His assignment is to go and to stabilize, to encourage, to take notes, and to come back and report to Paul how things are. Right Now, look at verse 6. We're going to see Timothy's assessment. Verse 6, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Can you imagine how Paul's feeling? He comes, he, Timothy comes walking up, and he's got a big smile on his face. He says, I've got good news. Interesting, the word good news there is the same that we have for gospel, right? He says, I've got good news. I can tell you, these guys are doing well. They're not shaken. They're stirred. He says... Look, it says good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us. Hebrews 10:24 says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Do you get it? The persecution had not resulted in them being shaken. It resulted in them being stirred, stirred up. Faith, love, and that they're like, please tell Paul that we miss him. That we love him, that we want to see him soon. Because Paul is probably thinking, they probably think I just left them because I was run out. But they were the ones who told me to go. But probably by now, distance can mess everything up. All those things. Paul gets this report back. Man, that had to be encouraging. The tribulation had stirred up good works and love and faith. They were stirred, not shaken. So what do we see? Then, of course, Paul rejoices. That's the fourth thing we're going to look at. Paul rejoices now in this good news. Verse 7. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. (laughs) Sometimes we forget, like when I get into the middle of this letter, I think, well, Paul's really concerned about them. I forget that he's got his whole whole set of troubles. Everywhere he goes, he's being persecuted. He's like, man, it was great to see. You know, they were whipping me maybe even (laughs) as Timothy comes up with the news. It's like... (laughs) Right, but oh, they're doing great! Oh, awesome! He says, "Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord." That word "live" is zael. We've seen it before. It means to enjoy real life, the abundant life that Jesus talks about. Paul says. I can rejoice, I can have an amazing time, even though I'm still under this persecution, knowing that you guys are standing fast in your faith, that you haven't been moved off your foundation. We've seen it over and over again. If you are with us in Acts, you're probably sick of it. I hope not. That the abundant life is a part of, is accompanies affliction, adversity. You go to some, some churches and they'll tell you that you shouldn't ever have affliction or adversity. That's not the Christianity I know. Christianity I know is that you find yourself going from affliction to adversity, but in the midst of it, you have this abundant life, this joyous, unexplainable thing. I I can't understand it, can't explain it, but I have it. God loves me. Jesus died for me, and now I can handle all of these things. Paul says we live joyously, abundantly in the midst of our persecution, knowing that you guys are standing fast, that you are stirred, not shaken. You guys know that courage is contagious? I mean, so is fear. Fear is contagious, but so is courage. What I'm hoping, and maybe that's why I showed those pictures last week. I'm hoping the Calvary Chapel of the Lakes is a breeding ground for courage. Now, if you were shaken, then we still got some work to do. Because what I want is for us to be not shaken but stirred. I want us to be ready to be courageous. Now, without lots of other exposition, I'm going to let just Paul kind of overflow here with thanksgiving, with gratitude. Look at verse 9. He says, For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before God? See, Paul says, I'm at a loss for words. I I, I can't even put into words how thankful, how joyous I am at hearing that you guys are doing well. He says, by the way, that would be unusual for Paul, right? To not be able to think of words, right? He's pretty uh, loquacious. I just said that. Um, What thanks can we give, can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? He says, I can't express it. Verse 10, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. We see that in Paul, prays exceedingly, constantly. Paul is one, a man of prayer. But he prays for two things specifically there in verse 10. He says, my first goal, my first prayer is that we can see your face. And second, that we can perfect what is lacking in your faith. Paul says, look, first of all, I just want to come to you. I, I want to see you face to face. But secondly, when I, when I see you, I still got more to teach you. He says, I know you guys are doing really well and I'm, I'm ecstatic that you are says, but there's more to learn. There's more to teach. And it seems like Paul breaks into that same spontaneous prayer. Now of those two very things in in verse 11, look, he says now may our God and father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. That's the first part of his prayer. He says, this is what I pray about. And then he starts to pray it. He says, may our God direct our way to you so that we can come and see you face to face. In verse 12 and 13, he talks about this issue of wanting to build you up to perfect your faith, verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Paul says, look, I just want to see you guys again. And when I do, I want to continue to help you grow. Paul says, I don't think you get it how much I miss you, how much I want to come back and be with you. Does that sound like anybody? You know. Paul I think would say, look there's one greater than me who loves you even more and who will be coming back soon. There's one who longs to be with you physically, yes, but also he this one Jesus, because you didn't know it. Jesus wants to he not only wants to be with you soon. But in the meantime, he has the ability to, he says, make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, and to establish your hearts blameless, without guilt. See, Jesus can teach the Thessalonians without being physically where they can see him. Paul can't do it. Now, why do you think Paul talks about the return of Christ so much? Why do you think the Bible, why do you think Jesus talked about his return so much? Why, why is it that the last verse of every chapter in First Thessalonians you find... A reference to the return of Christ. Why is it? Well, if I loved my bride as much as he loves the church, Ephesians 5, and I don't, I wish, I hope, I think I'm growing to love my bride that way. But if I loved my bride that much, and if I knew that I was going to be gone a while, preparing a brand new place For her, And I also knew that in the meantime, she would be struggling. There would be trials. There would be adversity. There would be struggles. But if I knew that I was preparing this place and that I was coming back for her, I would want to tell her a lot. I would want her to know. Hang in there. Hang in there. I'm coming back, and I'm coming back soon. And wait till you see the place that I've made. The groom is coming for his church, for his bride, right? Now, depending on what you're up to, just that statement alone will either leave you shaken or stirred. If you're living right, that will stir you. Yes. Could it be today? Jesus, you can come back today. That would be awesome by me. Or, no, not today. Not today. Either you're shaken or you're stirred, depending upon your relationship with Jesus. Now, look at verse 13 real, real quick. We're almost done. So that you may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Whoa, does that mean you have to be perfect to go to heaven? No. I mean, if Jesus comes today and you you, uh, kick the dog, are you out? No. The whole idea of blameless is not sinless. What it is is that you've been walking with Jesus, you keep a short account with Him, right? That you are confessing your sins as you know them, right? And you are ready at any time. Lord, you can come. Yeah, I kicked the dog, but you saw that. I, I confessed it. We're good, right? And and the Bible says very clearly that if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you not only of your sins you, you thought of, but of the stuff you didn't, right? So I hope you're ready. I hope when I say, the groom is coming for his bride that you not you are not shaken or stirred.